This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hi, welcome to the Reading Teacher's Lounge. This is Season 2, Episode 7. Today we're going to be talking about um, balanced literacy and guided reading. Um, My name is Mary Sagafi, and um, I am a reading tutor. I have Orton-Gillingham training. I also work as a dyslexia advocate. And um, Shannon and I are happy that you've joined us today. Hi, I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching for 17-plus years um, in elementary grades, either as a reading specialist or in the classroom. Currently, I'm teaching kindergarten. Um, My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and finding just right activities to fill those gaps. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm excited to talk to you today about guided reading. We're going to do a whole series of episodes about all the different aspects of balanced literacy, and we wanted to start with guided reading because it's one of my favorite things that I do It's such a key pillar, too. When you think about teaching reading, this is always the thing that comes to my mind at at first. It's the forefront. It's the most meat of the lesson that you do. Yes. Well, when I was a reading specialist, like most of the time I saw all my students every day, and I would do 12 guided reading groups. Back to back to back to back to back all day long. Um, And then last year, when I was teaching second grade, it got lost in the shuffle a little bit in um, in the middle of a lot of other initiatives that they were rolling out at my school and in my district. And I realized in the fall semester that I hadn't done a lot of guided reading. And my winter scores showed that. Mm -hmm. Um, They were not as good as I was expecting them to be. And so I reflected about that um, over the winter break, and I realized that guided reading is my non-negotiable. That yeah. it, other people have a lot of other non-negotiables that we hear about in staff meetings and um, yeah. other things, and I realized that I need to have my own non-negotiable, and guided reading was that, that I want to see my guided re- reading groups every day. Um, maybe not every group every single day, but right. I definitely want to make sure that I meet with my readers um, Especially your struggling readers, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I did that um, all in the spring, and my spring scores were much better. And the students and I enjoyed our day much better because guided reading became um, it was more than just reading. There's something special that happens around that kidney table when you gather as a group of readers. I agree. I love that. That's really true. I, sometimes I'm even like I'll pass a kidney table. Like I've, I've seen a couple for sale, you know, on online or something <laughs> like that. Oh, kidney tables. Do you it want just, one at your house? It just makes me a little nostalgic. I just, I loved that. Yeah. And so um, I've actually attended um, some guided reading trainings uh, last school year and this school year as well. And um, I keep learning about it, even though, you know, for years I did 12 groups a day. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to do an episode with you about guided reading and share some of the things that um, you and I have both done in the past, but then also some of the new things I've learned about guided reading recently. Yeah. So one of the things that was coolest that I learned in a training last some, last spring was um, they compared it to a tour guide. So if you've been to an art museum or you're touring a new city and you have a tour guide ahead of you mm-hmm. and uh, there's a group of people all together on the tour 
And the tour guide isn't telling you and showing you every single site. They're pointing out some of the main things, but then you're also altogether experiencing either the city or the, you know, the area of the museum or whatever that you're looking at. But with that tour guide's um, expertise and a little bit of extra focused, they, um, you glean more from the experience than if you were just um, touring that city or that museum by yourself. I love that. I think that's sort of the kind of learner that I am too. I often pick up on others' enthusiasm. And so I think that that's what the teacher really brings to the reading practice itself is the enthusiasm for the book and why are we spending time thinking about this and what other questions can we do to stretch the students thinking about what they're reading. Yeah, and so the tour guide might just choose five different paintings in the art museum to really, really focus on. Yeah. But you're going to go deeper on those five parts, but then that doesn't mean you're not seeing the whole museum. But you've kind of, you know, because you go deeper on certain parts, you experience art and actually learn about art more that way or learn about the city if you're touring a city. So a great analogy. as the teachers um, leading the guided reading group, that's what we're doing is mm-hmm. everybody's reading the book together, but we're choosing an instructional focus, like one or two or three things that we really want the students to work on with that book right. that they can go deeper on and that hopefully they will be able to take that um, knowledge and understanding to other books and other reading experiences. I love that. Yeah. So then the goal really becomes, um, you know, getting the, the kids to focus in on, on some of those aspects so that they can then apply it to their own independent reading. Exactly. And- Great. And so that is the goal of guided reading is that you're wanting them to be able to do the behaviors that you're talking about um, in the guided reading group, be mm-hmm. able to do them on their own. But you're just providing an experience, an independent reading experience, but you're providing it with support. And mm-hmm. it's the support of the group around you, of the students, and then as well as the teacher tour guide support but it's that. still reading. And so um, sometimes I would have to catch myself in guided reading group. I'd be talking a little bit too much in the mini lesson or at the ending part. But mm-hmm. really in guided reading, the goal of that is to have reading time. And so if it's a 30-minute reading lesson, you want them reading for probably 20 minutes of that time. Yep. Great. So um, one, I wanted to talk a little bit about just even just last year, um, some of the different things that we experienced as a class of when I said it became a learning community of readers. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this one student, Haley, who was um, selective mute and she barely spoke in the classroom. And um, once I started doing that, she was in one of the groups I started pulling um, daily during the spring semester. And that was the only space she would talk to me. Wow. And, the, and her peers was in the guided reading group. It was probably... I started seeing them daily in January and probably by mid-February um, to late February, she was started speaking in the group and I heard her laugh one day and yeah. um, it was the first time all year I'd heard her laugh um, because she was a student who experienced a lot of trauma and I, I pulled out my phone and I had to text the counselor because I was so excited that she had laughed. But it was a safe space where, because it was a um, homogeneous group and everybody was on the same reading level, right. you know, she... Um, she had seen other of the group mates, you know, encourage each other or make mistakes. And yeah. it just became this safe little small classroom sort of place, you know. And yeah. especially because, like, the way you set up the kidney table, they're all kind of facing 
you know, the wall and you're, you know, the teacher is looking at the classroom. And so that's right. Everybody else kind of faded away in the classroom. And it was just this little group of like five of us. I love how you explain that. And I think that's why I feel so nostalgic about my kidney table too. It's because you're right. Something magical does happen when you're all on the same page and you create this like sacred studying space where they're all on the same page and they feel safe. Really, that's what what it comes down to is they feel safe to make mistakes and take risks and and encourage one another and uh, I love that what a good story one year when I was um, a reading specialist um, it was the year I did the bead bracelets Mm -hmm. and I was all about accountability that year and mastery and so we set a goal in all of my groups for 80% mastery where we wanted um everyone to pass all the different little assessments that I made if we were studying short vowels or sight words or something that um they were going to pass it with 80% mastery and so we actually um, didn't move on from a unit until the whole group had gotten 80% wow. um, scores on the assessments. And so sometimes we'd be just waiting for one person and they would have four peer tutors that were all rooting for them and all helping and saying, we're going to get you to this. We're going to get you to this. We're going we're gonna to help you pass the, you know, the short vowels. And it did, um, I don't know, it was catch-22 because it kind of slowed us down from some of the things sure. that I wanted to accomplish that year. But at the same time, it, they really master everything. And it was a safe space where everybody was encouraging each other. I think that that kind of learning where you where you give other students the chance to step up and be leaders and encourage others, I think that that is sacred learning as that well. That can be really powerful because sometimes we get so caught up in like the standards we're teaching and we forget that like really we're just like a group of people together every single day yeah. in the classroom. Absolutely, <laughs> It's yeah. a teacher and students and we're all learning together and we're all going through life together and it's not necessarily all about test scores and... Oh, well, that the standards, is, that, that's going to be a whole other thing. You are speaking some good <laughs> language right now. That is so true because yeah. it's so easy to get caught up in all of the things that you have to do. But I, le- I really appreciate that you say that it's your non-negotiable too because I think for me, I, it does. It brings me joy to think about that because that's where you see the success. And I think students um, appreciate in that small group where the teacher sees their success, where their other peers see their success, and then they can kind of share that where you don't always get a chance to do that in the large groups. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and every group sort of gets their own personality too. Um, yes. (laughs) And I leave room for spontaneity. So last year we were reading a book. This was one of my higher groups and it was about the redwood forest. Mm -hmm. It was a nonfiction book and it was just talking all about those kind of trees and things. And I just happened to mention um, to one of the students, oh, yeah, that's on my bucket list. I want to go there one day. And the class said, what's a bucket list? I mean, not the class, the group asked what a bucket list was. And I had another thing planned for after the reading, but I just scrapped that plan because they were so interested in what a bucket list was. And so we ended up um, all writing down our bucket list and sharing it. And I'm like, they're going to... You know, we talked about that the rest of the year. You know, we were constantly going bucket list, bucket list. Oh, yeah, remember that forest book we read? And um, that's when reading becomes real to the students. Absolutely. um, I love that. Anyway, yes, it's my non-negotiable. If it's y'all's non-negotiable too, let us know. Let us know. Um, So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, guided reading prep and how I prep for the lessons, um, especially even when I'm short on time. Especially when you're short on time. We all feel that way. I've done a lot of guided reading group lessons when I'm just cutting out laminating, too. I will be completely honest. Yeah. (laughs) Or hole-punching paper and things like that. Yeah. Um, But I always know the students' reading levels. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I try to have, um, depending on what the situation is at my school, sometimes it's a book room. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, where I have to check out books ahead of time. And so I'll try to check out a number of books at different levels so that I kind of have them all ready to go. Yeah. Um, and then I'll also have books that go with maybe the story and the reading series that are all, you know, there's like some for, you know, approaching level readers and some for on level and some above. And I'll have those as well, kind of easy access if I need them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also even had little... Um, Years ago, I had made these little pocket folders with um, little one-page articles um, Mm -hmm. that students could read, and I kind of had those ready to go if I ever just needed to do God reading lesson real fast. They could, you know, you could do that with like a little weekly reader or something like that. Anything could become a God reading lesson. I had these really great nonfiction. They were laminated one-page think they're probably scholastic or something like that but that was my always my go-to when I had either an extra moment or something that my students needed some one-on-one practice with and you could we would we would work on highlighting or we would work on just those so if you can find something that you really like they also happen to be high interest for the students yeah and, and I think that is essential you can do gutter reading you can even do it on poems too like right. if you just oh I need to meet with my groups today I didn't have time to go to the book room or whatever you could um have books like that but I always had sort of um text around the guided reading table so that if I need to pull it to you know a lesson together pretty quickly I could I'm gonna throw something out there too and this is my almost I don't know sometimes it's a non-negotiable for me it sort of depends on the lesson that I'm teaching but actually having real texts in front of the kids not just a photocopied um, worksheet or, or a reading passage that has questions that go along with it. Mm -hmm. Because those kids, I just see so many kids shut down when they see that. And so if you see a kid shutting down and you don't have to grade that exact, you know, thing, give them a book to read and ask them questions or have them make up questions, um, you know, to do that. I know we're getting a little off topic on guided reading, but that's something that I feel really passionately about. Well, and guided reading usually does have, you know, everybody reading the same text. And there is something powerful when you have six little copies of the same book and everybody's reading through them together. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Um, And so I always had books at their level um, ready to go. And then in my groups, I always sort of knew which group was the really the decoding focus group. Yes. You know, and which group needed more help with fluency and maybe one group needed more help with comprehension. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you can look at if you have, I'm sure everybody has the Fountas and Pinnell resources somewhere in their building, but, um, there's booklets where they have list of behaviors, um, A to Z of what, um, students need at each level. And I would look at those to kind of help me, help guide me. Um, sometimes it looks overwhelming because you think, oh gosh, they, you know, if they're level F reader, they need all 20 of these things every single lesson, but no, you just pick like one. Oh, okay. Do they need help, um, looking at word endings or they need help, you know, inferring, um, characters feelings or something. And you can pick one of those as the instructional focus. What I loved about that, I'm going to interrupt because Shannon just showed it to me and I had never actually laid eyes on it before, but it's a big book and it has all the different levels and it looks like almost checklists for each of the behaviors. But if you have a student who's at level H and that student is just not progressing from that level and you can't exactly identify why you may want to go back and say, Hmm, have I seen this child do X, Y, Z 
is there something that you already know that they're not able to accomplish and maybe that's what's preventing them from moving on to the higher level? I think that's really helpful and powerful. And I also think that goes a really long way if you're sitting in an IEP meeting or um, uh, an RTI meeting maybe. That might be something that would be useful for you to come bring to the meeting so that you have some behaviors that you're naming. That's yes. really powerful. So when I'm prepping for a lesson, I'll make sure I have the book ready and I'll make sure I know what is going to be my big instructional focus. Mm-hmm. What kind of behavior and I'm, am I trying to get the students to work on? Um, is it a decoding focus or a fluency or a comprehension? And what specifically is it for that um, level of students? And um, you also think about like the students that you have in that group. I mean, there was one day that I had to pull a lesson really quickly and I didn't have time to prep for it. And it was a story um, from an LLI, from the LLI kit, um, which is Fountas and Pinnell Leveled Literacy Initiative, which I've been lucky that our district has adopted that because it's guided reading, but a little bit more. I just love it. Um, but there was this was a book um, about bulldozers. And I flipped through it real fast before I pulled a group. And I noticed that it um, had a lot of words that... Um, had special endings that had like um, a double consonant in the ing, or it had a lot of words with ed mm-hmm. and this and um, er and s for yes, bulldozers. Exactly, sure. and then or um, they dropped the e and put the ending on it or whatever. Yeah. And it was a English language learner group, and so um, I was like, you know what, this is going to be a really good instructional focus for this book, mm-hmm. and so. Um, I did a quick mini lesson about um, noticing word endings and things like that. And then we paid attention and took some notes on the whiteboard about it as we read it. And then when we responded to the reading and they were writing about it, I made sure and um, made sure that they used the book to help them spell some of those words or paid attention to the word endings when they were reading it. And so a lot of times if you flip through the book, it'll kind of give you an idea of what to do as well. I often do that if I'm looking for like vowel teams or something like that, a a common word that my kids are kind of working on. That's a really important one too. Yeah. So I always flip through the books um, when I'm planning Mm -hmm. um, guided reading lessons and I look at, you just mentioned vowel teams. Vowels is the absolute first thing I look at. Yeah. Um, Because I see if it's an early book, it's just mainly going to be short vowels or or do they starting to have um, long vowels in there? Are the vowel teams showing up in the R-control vowels? Um, is it one-syllable words or is it multi-syllable words? And that's going to tell me if the, you know, yep. where yep. the students are ready for. And then I look at the genre, mm-hmm. um, if it's fiction or nonfiction. And even within that genre, you know, is it um, more compare and contrast nonfiction? Or is yep. it like a biography nonfiction? Or is it, a, you know, a teaching book where it's got headings and paragraphs about different information? Yep. Um, and then I look at the vocabulary mm-hmm. and That's the background knowledge. Say. The if vocabulary a, is always really big. I'm sure it is in your classroom as yes. well with your English language learners. Yeah. And a lot of the nonfiction books will have um, little glossaries in the back of the book and everything. But yeah. um, some students might need a little bit um, longer introduction of the text if it's um, a subject they're not familiar with. So I think about that when I'm choosing the instructional focus as well. Nice. You know, we haven't talked about this, but something that I did um, a lot was I used ebooks. Um, I was my last year um, teaching, which is the one that obviously is closest to me right now. I use the Reading A to Z series, and there mm-hmm. are lots of lessons that go along with all of their guided reading books, and they're leveled the same as Fountas and Pinnell. And um, my students really enjoyed using the whiteboard and highlighting um, on the whiteboard and 
my kidney table was directly behind the whiteboard. So we were able to kind of use that a lot um, and then circle within the text on the board. And that was really helpful because it was really large and illuminated for some of my students. So um, if that's an option for you, if you do have access, of course, I want you to use, you know, textbooks too. So when I did that, I also printed out the copies of the books that my students were using so that I would model it on the board and then they would do it simultaneously in their books. So just another thought if you haven't, um, if you have a small group that needs a little extra TLC that way and you have access to the Reading A to Z program, I like doing it that way. I like that too. Yeah. Uh, my school actually just added it. So oh, I'm great. Just, yeah. I've always just had to use the free trial first. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I was. And I then I would get to my hardcore. download limit very quickly. Uh-huh. I push hardcore for that one. Um, but when I had the support of the principal in that. So that was really helpful. So um, when I plan my guided reading lesson, I always think about what we're going to do before we read yep. and then um, what we're going to do during the reading and then what we do after. And like I said earlier, the before and after need to be pretty short because yep. the bulk of the group time should be for actual reading. And um, we want to give the students, uh, before, read, before we read the book, I usually introduce the book and the instructional focus or strategy and do any vocab or background knowledge or maybe a little bit of word work that like they might need. Like I said, with the bulldozers lesson, we talked about word endings and then I give them a purpose for reading. So for that, those students, I said, I want you to see if you can find some other words that have word endings and use the strategy that I just taught you about paying attention to the word endings. And, um, then they read the book and, um, I choose one student, um, to listen to and actually focus on, during the reading, That's everybody's helpful. whisper reading all at the same time, the book from start to finish. Yep. And then I'll choose one student to speak a little bit louder um, to read to me. And I, you know, can take a running record or take like, you know, anecdotal notes about their comprehension or other reading behaviors yeah. I see. I'm going to throw something out there. If you do happen to have a child who is diagnosed with dyslexia and is in your guided reading group, pull them aside privately and ask them if they would like to read aloud and give them an option to read aloud in front of the group. Or you could have everyone else use the little whisper phones. Oh, I like that. I I love using whisper phones. One day we didn't have um, the phones. We used PVC pipes. There Mm -hmm. was one year I did that. And before that, before I even had purchased that, we used um, just little tubes, um, like toilet paper roll tubes, and they would whisper to their book. Cute. And so that was kind of fun. Uh, I also am kind of a fan of using popsicle sticks as readers to point to each of the words. That also was just another multisensory yes. you know, way to get them to focus on what they're doing. And there were sometimes, um, oh gosh, this was a while ago now, but I would change it up for each of the seasons. So I would have like popsicle sticks and I would glue a little eraser on the end. And one time it was pumpkins and then I'd change it to like a Christmas tree or change it to like a candy cane or well, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And sometimes they'll use the little monster fingers. Mon- oh yeah. I had the witch's fingers. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I forgot about that one. All of those are really good strategies for getting kids just high interest. Well, and another strategy, um, my mother-in-law used to be the literacy coach at my first school I taught at, and um, she had a saying, she called it prime the pump. But if you had a student, um, sometimes the students don't all fit neatly into like three or four groups in your classroom based on reading level, and you have sort of an outlier that's a little bit too low for a group, but you've got to put them in there because they don't fit anywhere else. And what's 
what she suggested to me was to um, prep them for the group maybe in the morning of or the day before. Yes. And so that then they are already familiar with the book and have already learned how to sound out some of the words and so that they're prepared for the book the next day. I highly, highly, highly recommend that for anyone who has suspected dyslexia or a diagnosis of dyslexia. That um, is often a something that we include in IEPs um, to give them a preview of a lesson or something like that. So I definitely think that that is really important. Sometimes, though, it's written in the IEP that the student should never read aloud in front of a group, and I don't think that that needs to be a hard and fast rule. I think it needs to be the option for the student because eventually, if the student's self-esteem is strong enough and they feel confident enough then they are going to want to read in front of their peers. If you have a a group that's a safe group and they feel okay reading at a slower rate, that's awesome too. Then then other people won't feel so so bad about it. I like having that have the student decide. I think it's really important and I think that that's something that you offer to everyone in the group mm-hmm. and you encourage everyone to take the risk to read aloud. But um, in front of a whole group, I would say that you should never be the one to call on a child with dyslexia to be the one to be the reader. It's just not a good situation, and it just really deflates them completely. And they save it until the end of the day, until they go home, and then their parents hear about it. And it's just heartbreaking. I've heard lots of stories like that. So, yeah, just be cognizant of my friends. (laughs) Sensitive to their feelings, please. (laughs) So, well, one of my um, colleagues, she said she had this little signal where um, she just, ta- she would tap, the, so they would all be whisper reading the same book together, and yeah. then she had taught them that if I just tap in front of your book, I need you to go just slightly louder with your voice. Oh. So the rest of the group wouldn't even hear it. Um, Great. It would still just be the teacher. It was just, instead of a whisper, it was just slightly higher than the whisper. And so the rest of the students would still be reading their books by themselves. And so they weren't even paying attention really yeah. to the one who was reading a little bit louder. But right. I, I, I love that idea of just teaching a little signal. So. I do too. I think that that's really powerful. And in just a second, um, after we finish talking about like kind of the structure of a guided reading lesson, um, we'll talk about a few other routines that are really helpful to teach mm-hmm. um, to help your groups run smoothly. But anyway, so you... We talked about how to prep for the group, and we talked about sort of how to start the group with the introduction of the book and the introduction of the teaching point and giving the students a purpose for reading. And then now all the students are reading it, yep. and you're listening to one of them um, during that reading and doing a running record or an anecdotal you know, conference note or things like that. And then um, the group is all done reading at that point, and yep. then what do you do after they read? And I just learned this in my most recent guided reading a training and I just loved it. Um, someone from Scholastic suggested having three different types of questions prepared for the students mm-hmm. to um, respond. And so doing one within the text question that the students could actually look in the book for something like, um, you know, um, where did the character live or, you know, something that could be answered with details from the text. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, um, having an about the text question, Mm -hmm. looking at the author's craft and structure, like how the author used certain language or how they, um, organize the facts if it's a nonfiction or things like that. Mm, And then having one question that was beyond the text where the students would have to infer or predict or make comparisons between texts. And I just, I really liked having a balanced, 
type of questioning like that. I had not thought about it like that before. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that before either. But having and often, sometimes you're rushing so much yes. just to get through. But I love if your questions are prepared ahead of time and you're after is really something that you're focusing on throughout the lesson, then you really want to see, oh, what did the kids, you know, what, what did they infer outside of the book? Yes. Um, and then you can also take that time to um, reinforce that reading behavior, especially if you saw it with the student that yeah. you listened to a little bit more. Um, whatever you said the instructional focus was at the beginning of the lesson, kind of bringing that up at the end and asking for their, you know, what they noticed and or what you observed them doing. And um, a lot of times there'll be a response time as well, although sometimes I do the written responses. Um, if, I'm struck, if I'm short on time, they'll go back to their seats and do the written response before going back to centers, Perfect. and then I'll pull another group. And then we might read our responses at the beginning of the next group. Great. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Perfect. Yeah. Because you want that after reading time to be pretty short too. But anyway, so having, I just love the idea of having three different types of questions, one within the text, one about the text, and one beyond the text. I do too. That's so try awesome. that. Cool. So, um, and then just weaving the phonics like in throughout, like when you're, mm-hmm. when you're um, listening to that student read, yeah, always um, have prompts ready if you know that it's a student that you're going to, if yep. you see them struggling um, with decoding the text, not just immediately supplying the word, but giving them some prompts. Oh, I'm so glad them. you said that. Some of the prompts that we talk about a lot are um, word tapping, where the kids, so if the student is really stuck on a word and you see them pause, you may give them a hand signal to put their hand on the table. You start with their um, outside finger and tap in to do the sounds of the word. Or um, you may have, you may point to your arm and start tapping the word for them mm-hmm. so that they start to do that as well. Um, and then that would not interrupt the rest of the students that are reading. It would just reinforce something that you're consistently teaching throughout your phonics lessons. Right. And then anytime I see that too, I'll remind the students to go back to the beginning of the sentence and to restart the sentence so that they can read that word smoothly without decoding it. Perfect. Yep. Oh, that's really important. That builds the fluency so much. And it also reiterates the visual piece that they need to look at that word again, commit it to memory if possible, and keep going. Great. Yeah. So um, the LLI kit from Fountas and Pennell actually has an amazing prompting guide that you can kind of prop up on a little 3D stand um, to have questions to ask the students so you're not just always providing an answer. And there's prompts for decoding fluency or comprehension which is really cool great but there's probably prompting guides online and stuff too right just as long as your prompt isn't well what does the picture look like yes please do not ever make that mistake i mean at beyond like got a reading level c that's not even going to help the students well that's the that's the point if you're decoding the word horse and the student guesses pony that's not the same right it's similar but it's really not the same so you need to make sure that um you're not directing them back to the picture. We're directing them to decode the text and use lots and lots of different strategies to decode the text. So just throwing that out there. Yes. So um, I wanted to go over a couple routines that are definitely necessary to have got a reading go smoothly in the classroom. And the very first one is um, teaching the students and the rest of the class to not interrupt your group. Yep. 
I've even seen on Instagram where um, some teachers have put like a do not disturb crown on. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that too. <laughs> um, and I just always train the students at the very beginning of the school year um, to not interrupt any time I'm at that table. And so, and usually I'll train them just by um, doing one-on-one assessments, you know, and they're doing work at their seats. I don't, you know, start groups right away, but I train them on that. Like, unless you're vomiting or bleeding, like you cannot come over here. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Um, and so then also helping them build their stamina um, while working on their centers or their workstations or whatever assignment they have um, that when they're not in the group with you. Um, a lot of teachers will do the ask three before me mm-hmm. routine. Yep. And that's asking three students before you come and ask the teacher to clarify. Yep. Um, and then once I actually start the guided reading group, um, I teach them how to whisper read. Because that is not something that they come knowing how to do automatically. Especially no matter what age they are. Well, right. But even, you know, my fourth and fifth graders, when I had them, sometimes they couldn't whisper read all the time. Interesting. And so, um, because I didn't want them just kind of scanning. I wanted them to really, like, show me your mouth moving and things like that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, But then some students are used to reading out loud all the time. And so you have to train them to not read out loud. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to find that happy whisper medium. Yes. Um, And then what to do when they're finished reading the book. That it's okay to go back and reread or find your favorite part or things like that so that you're maximizing your instructional time. Yes. And then when you have that discussion, um, how to listen and respond to each other. I think that's what builds that community. I agree. I think that's one of the most essential pieces. Um, I used to have a rule in my classroom, and that rule was... um, don't ask a question that you already know the answer to okay. because you find it to be really annoying and the teacher finds it annoying and your student, the students find it to be annoying. And so, um, you know, even with some of my students who, you know, didn't always, uh, have like fast processing or they weren't, um, they may have been genuinely confused. These were not the questions that I was telling them not to ask. The questions were, can I sharpen my pencil during guided reading time? The answer is no, never. I have an extra pencil right here. That is not a question that would be appropriate. Your friends in your group are going to be annoyed that you're asking that question. Please don't ask that question. Ask questions about the text. Right. And then look at your group mates as they're responding. So yeah, just a a little background, but we did have to practice that one a lot too. Mm -hmm. And how to be a good group member. Yep. Right. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And that um, you're there, you know, explaining. I mean, I would explain to my students from second grade on up, like, why we why we met at the guided reading table. Yes. We're all learning to be readers together, and we're learning to be better readers together, and we're watching each other grow. And we always did, like, a little bar graph to even watch our reading levels grow and things as a group. Yeah. Um, but they, um, you know, always wove in metacognition for everything. But they knew why they were there, and that brought buy-in. And so then they wanted to encourage and help each other. Yeah, same. So, um I've enjoyed talking with you about guided reading today. Uh, we're, this isn't meant to be like a workshop about how to do guided reading because you've probably sat through a lot of them yourselves as listeners over the years in your school districts and um, things. But we wanted to share some of the things that we had thought about with guided reading and what we've learned about over the years. But we want y'all to join the conversation. So we're going to be sending some prompts on Instagram and Facebook. Um, yeah. About guided reading because we want to hear how, you know, some tips and tricks that y'all 
have noticed about guided reading? That's something, you know, uh, we get some questions from readers and they ask us advice about how we do things, but we often are seeking advice from other people because we all want to work a lot smarter and not harder. And so um, as you're listening to this or if you know a teacher who does some really amazing tricks too, please share them with us because we'd love to spread the word. Um, That's what this space is for really is to share um, information that you can utilize the next day. Uh, at school. So enjoy your time with your, um, with your readers at your guided reading table. All right. Uh, Thanks for joining the Reading Teachers Lounge. Uh, We'd like to say thank you to Jordan Kempker and to um, Allison Zane of the Fruit Creative for their creative work for us. And um, we look forward to having you join us next time. Thank you.